Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Bowl, Director of Public Affairs. Today, our president, Garrett Hawkins, is joining us to talk about everything going on here at Farm Bureau and in the state and federal uh, capitals. Garrett, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks, Eric. Maybe it'd be easier to start with what's not happening right <laughs> now. Well, we started talking this week uh, about all the things on our plate and just thought, man, we just ought to get in the studio and, and go through them because there's so much happening. And uh, you've been pretty busy. It's been a little while since we've talked on the podcast uh, with you. Could, what have you been up to um, in your first few months here at Farm Bureau as president? Well, uh, yeah, I've hit basically the three-month mark now, Eric, yeah. and uh, every day has been great. And, in fact, I was doing an interview earlier today, and the uh, interviewer asked, well, what's a typical day like? And I just laughed because there is no typical <laughs> day around here, which is which is really great. Um, so I'd have to say, you know, the last few weeks I've really had the chance, as we have settled in here at the office, I've had the chance to get out uh, around the state, had the chance to, to spend time with county leaders in Washington, Reynolds, and Iron Counties uh, a couple weeks ago, and to, to be on the front lines, so to speak, uh, and learning about feral hogs. Uh, I've worked on that issue for many years, but... Now in this role as president, I really want to make sure that uh, I'm down uh, in, the, in the affected areas visiting with county leaders. So had some great conversations there. Last Friday, I had the chance to, to spend time uh, in southeast Missouri and Portageville at the Delta Research Center uh, to, to gather with leaders from the university as well as our county Farm Bureau leaders and other ag stakeholders to talk about the Delta Center and the great research that happens there. And then just yesterday, had the chance to to head up to Northwest Missouri, mm -hmm. uh, meet up with our Buchanan County leaders, and then visit with staff and county leaders, as well as our Collegiate Farm Bureau uh, in Nottoway County and there at Northwest Missouri State University. Yeah, I, you've been on the road a ton. I, you ought to keep track of your mileage because <laughs> <laughs> you're really going to be racking it up, I know. And yeah, I, I think you've even been to Kansas City, too, in the past couple of weeks, and Yes. In southwest Missouri, obviously you live down there, but uh, quite a bit of stuff just all over the place. All over the place, yeah. Kansas City, I had the chance to uh, participate during Thank a Farmer Week to, mm -hmm. to meet up with county leaders and fellow state board members to go to the Ronald McDonald House. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple weeks before that, the Kansas Farm Bureau President, Rich Feltz, and I and uh, our respective CAOs had the chance to meet up for a work session to just pick each other's brains and to talk yeah. about what's going on in our respective states and how we can work together. Right. Yeah. There's so much going on. And uh, like I, like you said, there's a lot going on at the policy level. Of course, there's so much here internally as well. And then with COVID hopefully coming uh, to a wind down, we're going to have a lot of in-person stuff coming up too. So very, very busy time around here. Well, let's start uh, jumping into some of those policy things that are happening right now. Um, probably the biggest news, at least in Missouri, this week was the the announcement by Senator Blunt that he's not going to be running for a third term. And that, of course, was pretty shocking to a lot of people, but uh, very shocking to the ag community. It was. And for me personally, Eric, it, it, it's bittersweet. Uh, certainly, I'm I am happy for, for the senator that he has reached the point personally uh, and with his family that he feels it's time in the next couple of years to, to step down. Um, I consider him to be a friend um, in so many ways, someone that I've respected watching his career through the years. Mm -hmm. You know, when I started at Farm Bureau in my first summer here, 
Um, I'll never forget a call from American Farm Bureau from Mark Maslin, who is the head of policy within AFBF. And we were needing help on an obscure issue uh, dealing with methyl bromide, which is an ag fumigant. And it was being phased out under the Montreal Protocol, and we needed help from someone in Congress to try to help uh, basically secure a critical use exemption for an emergency use Mm -hmm. in agriculture that season. And they called because they wanted us to go to Roy Blunt. Mm -hmm. And that was when he was in the House. And I remember President Cruz and I got on the phone and we talked to the congressman and his staff. And, you know, he he was willing to help. And time and time again, I can think through his tenure, you know, regardless of, of the issue, whether how small or minuscule, technical or how big, uh, he always knew the right thing to do and a way to help. Mm-hmm. And that's why I will always appreciate his ability to work across party lines to get things done for the betterment of all of us. Yeah. Well, there's anybody that you talk to that's worked with him has a story like that. And um, I think that we could mostly all agree there's no one better at doing the job than he is. And we're certainly going to miss him uh, moving forward. But we're still going to have a couple years to work with him, and he's still is very adamant that he wants to continue getting the work done for Missouri. It was great to see he made the announcement in a video in front of his parents' dairy farm, uh, dairy barn, that uh, that he grew up on the dairy farm, learning the value of hard work in Southwest Missouri, and I don't think that that ever left him. Absolutely not. And, you know, when I was in Collegiate Farm Bureau, I remember the summers coming back to Springfield to participate in Congressman Blunt's Ag Tour and how cool that was as a Collegiate Farm Bureau member to be invited by the congressman to be a part of his traveling group that would go around and visit uh, farms and ranches and agribusinesses throughout the 7th Congressional District over a couple-day period. And he just always has, has had that passion for learning and listening and then applying it and carrying uh, those issues on our behalf to Washington, D.C. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he will be be very much missed. But the the news in Missouri, of course, that was the biggest news. But nationwide, obviously, the biggest uh, national news story on the federal front has been the passage of the COVID relief bill or stimulus bill or whatever it is that you want to call it. Um, there's a, a lot of talk about that, a lot of things included in it. Um, but gosh, the, there's so much as the kitchen sink was thrown in this bill. So it's hard to know exactly what the effect's going to be. Uh, I, I think that is fair to say, Eric. <laughs> um, there are ag pieces uh, in the this massive package. You know, for me, someone that, that spent uh, the better part of 20 years working in ag and rural policy, a package that passes with a $1.9 trillion price tag is just really hard for me to get my arms around. And and more importantly, I I really wonder how I'm going to be able to explain this to my kids and grandkids someday, Mm -hmm. because at some point, you know, we do, yes, it's important um, to get the economy um, uh, a shot in the arm, but long-term, you know, how are we going to handle debt and really look at the overall state yeah. of our country? So the same week um, that we learned that we passed thirty trillion dollars <laughs> in debt, we just toss another two trillion on top. So. Yeah, so that this one is a is is a difficult. We know there there's a lot in it, um, but clearly it has taken up all of the oxygen in Washington D.C. the last few weeks. So yeah. so now it's going to be interesting to see um, just what uh, what comes up next. Yeah. Well, one of the things that did happen this weekend, in addition to that bill uh, passing, was that the 
uh, Death Tax Repeal Act was introduced by Congressman Jason Smith from Southeast Missouri. And that's something that I know you've worked on quite a bit. And uh, in, like you say, the 20 years you've been working on policy, that's always been something that we've supported. Um, and it's good to see that a Missourian is now the one leading the charge on that. You know, Missouri has played a key role through the years in advocating for death tax repeal. I am really grateful that Congressman Smith has taken up that torch to, to carry the message forward. You know, there have been this is an example of issues that never truly go away. Yeah. You make progress, then you backslide a little bit. You know, we were able to secure a higher exemption, maintain stepped up basis, uh, uh, get more, uh, I guess, reasonableness and capital gains taxes, all these things, you know, in recent years. And and now we have potentially uh, conversations over the next few months of perhaps taking away stepped-up basis, mm -hmm. raising capital gains. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that Congressman Smith is planting his flag on this issue, this issue for all of us, saying, you know what, we need to keep our eye on the ball and we need to be focused on full repeal of the death tax ultimately that this tax is just simply unjust, unfair. And, and during my time of working on this issue, as I have heard from members who have perhaps experienced it and lived through to tell their story on the back end, having paid the death tax, but also just the countless farm and ranch families, small business owners that always have to be preparing mm -hmm. for a potential death tax to be imposed. Yeah. And that uncertainty always uh, of what Congress may do or what a change in administration may deem, may mean, that uncertainty uh, is always in the back of your mind as you try to plan for the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's something that always strikes me about this. Every story that you read from <laughs> the national media, if you will, um, when they're trying to do like a fact check and uh, into the farmer's claims that this really hurts small farms and family farms, They'll always say things like, oh, the death tax only affects this X number of farms per year, and they'll you know, make it sound really small. Well, what they mean is only that number of farms pay the, you know, an actual uh, estate tax, but almost everyone is affected by it because they have to pay all their attorneys to try and put it into a protective way. Uh, you know, to pass it down to their to their children, not have to sell the thing. So it's really the attorney full employment tax. <laughs> it really is uh, is ridiculous to say it doesn't affect people, but they everyone's affected by it. You're exactly right, and you know I'll never forget. Um, it was in the late 2000s when we were when this issue was really bubbling up again, and and uh, I had the chance to sit down with a young farm couple who I now consider to be friends in Southwest Missouri. And they were in the midst of a 10-year of a plan with the IRS of paying the estate tax because there was an arbitrary line set. Mm -hmm. And because the farm that had passed from his grandfather to him to carry it on and because they were close to a, a quickly growing metropolitan area, that price of that farm, the value of the farm had dramatically increased. All of a sudden, because of a bunch of arbitrary things, they were subject to the death tax. Mm. And you're talking about a family that worked multiple jobs and scraped every year, and their top priority was paying this bill to the IRS in order to keep the farm in the family. Yeah. And all of their decisions on a daily basis revolved around what they were doing, earning and saving to ultimately be able to pay that bill at the end of the year and every year for 10 years. Mm. 
And how do you sit across from someone and explain, well, sorry, but you were above this this line that was set by Congress that, let's be honest, changes, right? All the time. But because it hit it hit them hard mm-hmm. and it affected their family and how they made decisions every day. Yeah. You wish some of those members of Congress could see that real life impact of those policy decisions they make really does hurt the family farm a lot. So it's good to see Congressman Smith fighting for that, and hopefully we'll get some traction. I saw that there were more than 100 co-sponsors on the bill when he dropped it, so that's fantastic to see that brought of support. Um, so there's a lot happening also at the state capitol. Uh, this is the week before the legislature goes on their spring break. They they take one week every, every session, every year, um, right in the middle, kind of their halftime break. And that's going to be starting, uh, happening all next week. So there's kind of a push to get some things through this week before they left town. Um, we'll start off with an issue that has been kind of the top priority for us the past couple of years and has been able to get part, part of the way there, but not the whole way across the finish line. That's eminent domain reform, uh, property rights. That uh, is something that I think everybody wants to see get done this year, and, and we're really optimistic, hopeful that it's going to make some progress. What are you hearing about that? Yeah, well, uh, we've seen in recent weeks that uh, the legislation um, sponsored by Representative Hafner, um, House Bill 527, has cleared the House. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's encouraging. You know, for, for those who may not be familiar with this bill, it restricts eminent domain powers for merchant transmission lines, uh, requires each county along the line to essentially consent. So this really gets at a project uh, that is proposed across the northern part of the state. And, you know, this has been an issue that's been in the works for several years that Farm Bureau has been in the middle of, that landowners have been extremely engaged. Missouri Cattlemen's has been extremely engaged. So, so this is one that, yes, you're exactly right. We hope to get something across the finish line this year. And, and you know, ultimately, eminent domain is uh, – these are difficult conversations. And, and this organization, one of our fundamental issues has always been private property rights and making sure that the voices of landowners are heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly what uh, this bill does. And hopefully, um, as we think about the second half – of session. Uh, hopefully we can continue to gain momentum uh, to get something through the Senate and hopefully to the governor's desk. Yeah, hopefully so. It's one that I'm uh, happy, to, I'll be happy to put in the rearview mirror eventually because we need to get this one done. Um, another issue that I'd like to see in the rearview mirror is getting some sort of help to increase the funding for our roads and bridges. Uh, this is another thing Farm Bureau has been talking about for ages. Uh, it's been 25 years now since we've increased the funding for our roads and bridges, and uh, that's been causing all kinds of problems. Um, but just today, we saw that the Senate passed a, uh, a, a, a proposal, at least, to bring a little bit of more revenue into the uh, highway fund. Uh, do you think that's something that's going to make it all the way across the finish line, or what? this is a complicated issue? It's a complicated issue, Eric, and I, I you know, I wish I had a crystal ball. Uh, for some time, Farm Bureau members have recognized through our policy process that more investment is needed in our infrastructure, in our roads and bridges. You look at just the massive system that we have in Missouri, something to be proud of. And that's, you know, I think to, to Senator Blunt has always done a wonderful job of articulating 
Missouri being at the crossroads of so much for the country and how important infrastructure is. Mm -hmm. And so investment in our highways is critical. And, and for me, I don't just think about, you know, our interstates. I think about our rural roads. I think about our lettered roads. I think about when I'm hauling grain, when I'm pulling the cattle trailer. You know, it becomes a safety issue when you think about maintaining <laughs> these roads mm -hmm. and making sure that MoDOT has the funds to do the job that needs to be done. And so I'm glad that we've seen progress in the Senate. You, you mentioned again, this is a this is a proposal that would add two and a half cents a year um, to ultimately hit a 15 cent increase in, in the gas tax. What's interesting, though, for the first time ever, they would have a, a refundable <laughs> piece uh, mm -hmm. or provision to, to it, uh, which basically mirrors the South Carolina model of what's been done there for for highway funding. So it's a, it's an interesting proposal. You know, again, Farm Bureau policy generally supports uh, an increase in the gas tax to, to get us where we need to to try to help keep up with our infrastructure needs. Mm -hmm. So so we'll see. Uh, the conversation shifts to the House, just as you alluded to. And uh, we've got to keep talking about the importance of infrastructure to what we do as we as we travel, um, obviously, uh, travel with our families. We want safe roads, and ultimately, we've got to have safe and sound roads as we do what we do in agriculture every day. Yeah, and there is an exemption in that bill uh, still for agricultural fuels, so that's a positive as well, and uh, and Missouri's second to last in the nation in the amount of funding that we give towards our roads and bridges. Alaska is the only one that's worse, that's lower, and the only reason they're lower is because they get all the oil revenue from all the drilling they do out there. We don't have oil revenue coming in here, so we really need to step up, I believe, find a way to make that work. Um, one other thing going on on the infrastructure front, though, is broadband uh, development. That's something that I know you've done a lot of work, both uh, your previous tenure here at Farm Bureau and uh, at the Department of Agriculture. There's just so much to do uh, to try to get broadband to everybody in the state. There is, and there is no one silver bullet, Eric, when it comes to a solution for broadband. We just know that we need it. If we've learned anything this past year, it's that this access to high-speed internet is a necessity from an education standpoint, for a workforce, entrepreneurship standpoint, rural health care, you name it. It's critical that we have it in our communities and that it's accessible and affordable, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just because it's accessible doesn't mean a family can, can afford it. And yeah. so all of these things are important. And I guess what I'd say is as I travel around the state, I'm hearing more encouraging stories from members about gaining access. Mm -hmm. Now, we're still a long way away, mm -hmm. uh, but I am encouraged to hear about uh, progress being made in local communities and outside of communities, outside of city limits that are providing um, opportunities for our people to to access those services. So, yeah, it seems like those years of work are starting to pay off and, and actually see real tangible results. That's that's certainly the hope. And again, we, we talk a lot about moving the needle, and this is one that uh, it takes a while. Um, infrastructure investment and deployment takes time. Uh, but we uh, hopefully will continue to see progress if we maintain this determined effort in Missouri, which has been united from the governor, Director Chin, Director of Economic Development, Rob Dixon, and the Broadband Office, MU, you know, ag groups, all of us making a concerted effort and being a strong, united voice. Um, 
I believe is making a difference. And obviously, yeah. we got to have our partners at USDA Rural Development and and uh, private entities, uh, as well as our electric co-ops, some sure. of whom are getting into to the broadband business. So it takes all of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm confident we're going to continue to make progress. Yeah, it's been nice to see, too. The governor put $5 million in his budget for the broadband grant program again this year. So we'll see what happens with that after the spring break and uh, if they're able to keep that in the in the final budget. Um, some other developments that uh, got some traction this week again were uh, there's a bunch of tax credits that are offered through MASBDA, and uh, you can tell me what that acronym means because <laughs> I could never remember. It's too long. But uh, at the uh, Department of Agriculture, um, they have several of these programs that were set to expire at the end of this year. But just this week, the House was able to pass um, a bill that would extend those through the end of 2027 um, and gives a lot of opportunity to help investment in rural communities. So so MASBDA, the Missouri Agriculture and Small Business Development Authority. Impressive. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> so it. Executive Director Jill Wood and her team uh, work every day housed within the Department of Agriculture and overseen by a board. Um of farmers, essentially, uh, who help try to provide that investment, right, in, in agriculture and small business uh, throughout rural Missouri, as you've said. And it, it's a, it's a, MASBDA is a, is a great entity to partner with. And, and again, as you said, some of their tax credits are, are set to expire. And so legislative action is needed to, to keep them in place. And, and again, we see this as one small way, again, to try to foster investment and continue growth uh, in our rural areas and on our farms and ranches. And it's a suite of tools that I like to think that are available. Um, they may not be the answer for every producer or farm or ranch operation, but they are a tool in the toolbox that, that can be utilized. And therefore, I think it's important that they continue to be available. Um, what, are, what are some examples of the ways that they help people out, you know, the type of uh, tax credits and grants that they uh, are allowed to, to issue? Yeah. So so you think about new generation cooperatives in the state. So if you look at where we're at today uh, with ethanol production and the role that Masvida played uh, through the years in, in helping foster new generation cooperatives, uh, meat processing, there's a meat processing uh, tax credit program that um, – I guess, what has it been in place maybe a couple years now that, mm-hmm. that has helped foster uh, investment in, in some of our small meat processors around the state. Came and, in really handy last year. Yeah, it, it did. And so those are just a couple of examples uh, of things uh, that MASBDA does uh, that ultimately provide a return on investment in this state uh, um, in a lot of ways, but ultimately impact a lot of lives and touch a lot of lives. Yeah. So. Um, we need the legislature to, to move forward again. I, I think I put this in the category of a no-brainer, mm-hmm. um, that maintaining these these tools in the toolbox are important, and let's do it. Yeah, I was just doing some research on this and saw that the uh, the new generation um, cooperative tax credit has something like a six-to-one investment that it, it helps leverage with private dollars being invested into these uh, entities like building a, an ethanol plant or whatever, you, like you mentioned, that's a pretty good return. If you can spend one tax dollar to get six private dollars brought into the state, that's into rural areas, 
that seems like something that's working well and ought to be continued. <laughs> yes, we certainly think so. Yeah. And we need others to help uh, trumpet that message. But we appreciate the, the work that the, the team at MASBDA and at the department do. And uh, let's just keep let's keep these tools going and yeah. available. Very good. Well, another tool that uh, the Department of Agriculture has been helping with is um, helping to provide some private pesticide applicator training that EPA is starting to require. I know that's something you've dealt with on a, a different level when you were at the department as well, and um, they're starting to get some real traction at getting this program finished and set up. Where, where are we with that? Well. Uh, essentially, additional funding is needed to help de develop the new training tools. I mean, if you look at where we're at as a state and what the needs are of our farmers who are applying um, pesticides themselves, um, training materials need to be updated. That, that's, that's all there is to it. And new requirements from EPA um, with regard to what is in these training materials necessitate a, a look at what we're doing to make sure that our farmers are equipped uh, to be able to ultimately pass a test. Mm -hmm. So, so um, again, I put this in the bucket of, you know what, this is important to do. Um, mm -hmm. It may not be a, <laughs> uh, I don't know what the right word is. Uh, it may not be necessarily a, a topic that makes you just jump up and down, but it's <laughs> important in terms of allowing us to do what we do on our farms mm -hmm. and all of us should want really good training materials yeah. um so that so that um yeah so yeah, you we don't need might not make it on the front page of the, the newspaper <laughs> i guess that's what i'm but... trying to say you're right eric <laughs> like it may not make the headline on on the front page of the newspaper but yet that doesn't mean that it's not important it is impactful mm -hmm. and funds are needed uh to, to ultimately go to the University of Missouri to, to get the right training materials developed and, and out the door for our farmer applicators. Yeah. One thing we have seen on the front pages of newspapers, oddly, is uh, the, the stories about feral hog damage, because it really is catches the attention of people, even in the, the big cities sometimes, the, their newspapers, because they just think it's so crazy that that's really a thing. But in, in our real lives, in, in the in farm country, people have to deal with this all the time. And it sounds like they're making more progress every year, a little bit at a time. And you've been out and about, like you mentioned earlier, talking to people dealing with this on the ground. What are people feeling out there? Well, so, you know, I would say that there is a large partnership of which Farm Bureau is a part of that that's taking an all hands on deck approach, uh, if you will, to, to feral hog eradication. You know, you can look at this issue in, in a lot of different ways, but when you wear your farmer hat or your landowner hat, you know, this becomes a private property rights issue from the standpoint of these dog, these hogs do real damage. Feral swine do real damage. And the areas of the state that are affected, you know, are producers that are, that are trying to, to, to make it and ultimately have really good pastures to feed their cattle. Uh, when feral swine come in and just root the tar out of mm -hmm. out of these pastures you don't just repair and restore overnight like yeah. this may be a year process and you know what those feral swine are more than likely coming back and they're going to root up in the same area and so it's a recurring problem mm -hmm. um we're seeing progress i would say overall when it comes to to trapping but we have to be vigilant uh this has to 
involve you know, local landowners and, and those who are in the impacted area have to be every much a part of the solution because you know, not all areas of the state are affected. And so until you see it, until you're living it, then you truly get a better sense of, of what's happening and the impact. Uh, to your landowners, as well as to public land, too, that all of us as Missourians own. So there legisl- there's legislation pending um, that's moving in, in the legislature um, and, the, and the House right now. So it's pretty simple in the sense that it would uh, make some much-needed clarifications in the definition of feral swine. I saw that firsthand when I was at the department and really digging into red tape reduction and was trying to figure out and and mesh up statute and regulations. So this bill makes some important clarifications. Mm-hmm. And then it increases the penalties, which Farm Bureau policy has called for through our, our members have called for for some time in terms of, okay, we're going to increase penalties for those who release <laughs> feral swine. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. Uh, I know there's work to be done through the process, um, but at least uh, the issue has risen to the level uh, that we're getting discussion in the General Assembly. Yeah, no, it seems like a lot of people are on board with that. <laughs> There's some crazy things with those definitions, like saw that uh, if you have a, have a pig that's not in captivity, then that makes it feral. But that means if you put it in a trap, it's no longer um, free roaming. It is in captivity, so now it's not a feral pig anymore. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Well, so it's good that they're clarifying some of this. Yes, stuff. people were getting out of penalties for that. When you, when you think about things that make you go, huh? Um, <laughs> when not I, the intent when, uh, when it was written. No, no. But I also saw it firsthand from yeah. being at the department and, and being in the position of of trying to make sure that our team is doing what we can to protect and promote agriculture and enforce uh, the statutes and regulations within our purview, uh, it was difficult. So ultimately, it behooves all of us from a good government standpoint to have these discussions and where there isn't clarity, work together to make the necessary clarifications so that we're on the same page and ultimately... um, the enforcement that needs to be done can be done. Yeah, very good. Well, one last issue on the state level is the um, issue of uh, reforming the initiative petition process. And that's another thing that Missouri Farm Bureau has long been in favor of because it's been pretty darn easy to amend the Missouri Constitution in recent years. Uh, We did see last night that uh, bill was perfected on that and uh, in the House, and then they're going to try to get that over in the Senate. Anything that passes, though, would have to go before a vote of the people. So a um, long way to go on that one, but still, I think, something that is important to our members. Well, uh, when I think about the Farm Bureau policy book, again, you hear a recurring theme from me uh, because that policy book is, is our rule book, right? It, yeah. It's what guides us every day uh, in terms of the views, the voices of our members. And for some time, I can think of discussion on the voting delegate floor at annual meeting. And, and we have our members through the years have put together quite a lengthy list of, of ideas for for what I would say are improving the the ballot initiative process um that that maintain the integrity of the constitution and ultimately what i feel strongly about is preserving the future for our kids and grandkids mm-hmm. uh you know so so this really is about i see this in the category of good government and 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 making sure that thought is being put into 
what ultimately needs to <laughs> to be put into the state constitution, right? Yeah. Like this is this is a serious deal. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm glad that there's some discussion in the state legislature to think about to think about it and and try to consider ways to perhaps improve the process that allows all of us as Missourians to give more thought to ultimately what deserves to be in the Constitution mm -hmm. uh, versus what's handled in other ways. Yeah, it's amazing to see some of the numbers that in the past 10 years, the Missouri Constitution's been amended more times than the U.S. Constitution has been in, what, 240, 230 years, whatever it's been. Um, that's pretty incredible. It's been amended more than, I think, 30 times in the past decade. That seems like they're not really thinking it through very hard uh, each time. Uh, and giving it the thorough analysis it needs. Well, I mean, I, I just think all of us as Missourians should should that should give us pause. That yeah. that statistic alone should give us pause to think. Okay, are we doing the right thing, mm -hmm. or or these issues that are important should they be perhaps handled in a, in a different way? Does the Constitution need to be amended all yeah. this many times? I don't have the answer, but I think it's worth asking the questions and having the discussion. Yeah, that's the important part. Yeah. All right, last issue we'll talk about on the policy front here is uh, going back to the federal level with executive orders. Now, that's something that we've heard a lot about back and forth. Uh, whoever's president in, in uh, D.C. seems to, um, no matter what party they're from, they really enjoy using these lately. Um, but that part of that's because of the gridlock we've seen in the legislature. Uh, but it seems like President Biden's really taken this one to a new level in at least his first couple months on the job. Um, what are some of the ones that you've seen that have been a little bit more concerning than others? Well, Eric, I'd say the one that um, that we are going to be dealing with for, for some time is the all-of-government approach that uh, President Biden is taking to, to address climate change. Mm -hmm. This isn't a new issue for us, right? I mean, you go back 10 years ago when cap and trade was the issue du jour, that that was the approach that the Obama administration working with Congress was going to take. And we knew then that that was a, the wrong approach uh, for agriculture and, and for all of us, really, in terms of what it would cost the economy in the form of higher energy costs and, mm -hmm. and more regulation. So we saw... Um, I guess I would say now uh, you fast forward 10 years and, and we have an administration that is even more aggressive about taking uh, an all government approach in which USDA will, will be uh, in, a, in a clear leadership role in, in trying to determine the administration's approach. So there are a lot of different facets to this issue. We just saw this past week that Attorney General Schmidt uh, was joined by 11 other state attorneys general uh, to to challenge one executive order and and getting to the underlying is, issue of the social cost of carbon. Yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> it's big, and you want to talk about wonky trying to explain <laughs> okay. uh, what people need to know. You know, really, in my <laughs> from my farmer hat is that. The value associated with the social cost of carbon is going to be a factor in, in a lot of new regulations that come down the pike across sectors. Mm -hmm. and, and, and this value that essentially makes all of these regulatory proposals look more favorable from a cost-benefit standpoint uh, 
should give us all concern. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, so Eric, what, what's hard for me and what we'll, we will be talking about in the weeks and months to come, you know, American Farm Bureau, uh, and rightfully so, has taken a proactive role in, in being one of the founding members of the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance. And, and we believe that we have to be at the table in this discussion. What I, what I though, when I, when I think from a farmer's standpoint, what I hope is different this time around than where it was 10 years ago is that I hope those who aren't involved in agriculture are actually ready and willing to listen to the great story that we have to tell. Mm-hmm. Because they need us. They need farmers and ranchers to be at the table because we are providers of solutions and should not be viewed as the problem. Yeah. And so many times fingers are pointed to, to agriculture uh, as we are emitters, right? From the livestock we raise to the fertilizer that we apply and you name it. What I am hopeful and what I am pushing for is that the conversation actually start from a point of appreciation. And let's talk about the positive contributions that farmers and ranchers make every day. Mm-hmm. So in Missouri, you take the one tenth cent sales tax mm-hmm. uh, that uh, since the mid-80s has been uh, really the envy of other states and how we support state parks while at the same time conserving soil and improving water quality. And you know what? It just so happens that that investment made by Missourians has also, through the decades, uh, helped us as we keep soil in place, as we have grass and so on that helps hold soil and prevents erosion. We've also been sinking carbon at yeah. the same time. We weren't talking about it back then, and maybe we need to talk about it now. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm going to be coming from and this seat in working with our members that we are going to be aggressive and proactive in telling the good story that we have to tell. Mm-hmm and be aggressive and when we're at the table try and get those who aren't involved in agriculture to at least have a point of appreciation and recognition for what we do every day yeah it's going to be important and certainly over the next four years we're going to maybe never stop hearing about it so no. it's good to be uh, be coming to the table so you know we will be um we'll be looking to to obviously help support market-based voluntary incentives uh, that allow us to put more conservation on the ground, while at the same time we're going to be very vigilant in asking questions and pushing back on regulations under the name of uh, climate change that ultimately raise the cost of everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't have it all here, mm-hmm. so we've got to be the voice of reason and common sense and make sure that these discussions are based on science. Yeah. We are at the table. We are ready to talk. Very good. All right. Well, that's a lot of things that are on on the plate right now. Um, what about at, back home? How's your family and how's your farm? <laughs> we are we are doing good. Um, uh, I wasn't able to be home last night. Jennifer reported we had an inch and a half of rain, so we're back to we're back to mud. <laughs> fun, fun. <laughs> uh, but no, we are in a lull uh, in in lambing season. So. Uh, one one flock is lambed, and we're getting ready for, for the next flock to lamb. This is our kids' favorite time of year. You know, I mentioned before that we're kind of new to the sheep business mm-hmm. as part of our overall grazing operation, and the kids love it. My middle son uh, 
at least with the first group that's lambed, uh, he can pretty much tell you anything about it <laughs> and which ones were <laughs> born first. Uh, they eat it up. Uh, we're making plans for 4-H projects. Uh, they're going to be showing sheep, and then Colton is going to be doing uh, broiler chickens again. He was the reserve grand champion at the Bates County Fair last right. year, I might add. Nice. Uh, you know, I think all of us... Uh, Cattlemen are, are ready for, for grass. Uh, we're probably all getting tired of feeding hay. Um, spring is around the corner, right? We've got a sense of that. And, and yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. Um, but it's certainly nice to see a little bit warmer weather after that yeah. <laughs> terrible, well, terrible spell that we went through. Can't be um, much worse than it was. <laughs> yeah. Of course, now it looks like the forecast says it's going to be raining for about 40 days and 40 nights. So yeah, hopefully yeah. we won't go, uh, you know, from one <laughs> one bad situation to another. Let's put it this way: I'm not going to be washing the farm truck anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's going to be muddy for a while, uh, yeah. but that's okay. That's why we do what we do. We love being on the farm, and and uh, to my fellow farmer and ranchers, just thanks for all that you do. The light is at the end of the tunnel in terms of pulling out of winter, and uh, there's always this sense of optimism as you head into planting season. Um, you know, the last few days that we had some dry weather, seeing the fertilizer carts going by, uh, seeing the fertilizer buggies going by, it's um, it's always encouraging because we know spring is here and we're going to have growth. We're going to see green and um, it's an exciting time. Very good. Well, thank you again for joining us today and good luck with all of your, your travels around the state and we'll look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks, Eric. And to my fellow members, look forward to seeing you soon. Take care. Thank you.